Hello and welcome back to UNICEF Innocenti's podcast on research matters. I'm Kathleen Sullivan, a communication specialist with UNICEF Innocenti, and today we're talking about our new report, Are the World's Richest Countries Family-Friendly? on policy in the OECD and EU with our report authors, Kat Chen and Anna Gramada. Welcome, Kat and Anna. Hi. Hi, Kathleen. Thank you for joining me for today's podcast. I think... um, we were really keen to have a discussion, conversation about this, because, especially because of how much uh, attention this report has been getting since we launched it a couple of days ago. Um, so I want to ask, uh, why do you think this report is getting so much international attention? We're on the front page uh, of many international newspapers getting covered by BBC, Financial Times, The Guardian, and more all over the world. What, what do you think is it about this report that is um, getting so much press? I think this report is getting so much attention uh, because of the university, um, because the topic is universal. It refers to all of us. Um, one of the biggest surprises of the report was that there is no relationship between the wealth of the country and how family-friendly it is. And I think that it has also resonated among people in, some country, in such countries as, for example, the US, the UK or Switzerland, because they feel that there are resources and that the, f- um, the fact that they rank so low, it's about political priorities. Right, absolutely. That there's no uh, relationship between how wealthy a country is and how good their policies are for parents is is really interesting. And, and as an American, um, the U.S. ranked last on our league table of countries and how uh, family friendly their policies are. Uh, so I think this this really quote hits home for me uh, and and puts on paper a lot of these these. F- generalizations make about how bad uh, maternity leave and paternity leave policies are. Uh, Here, this report actually shows just how bad they are relative to other rich countries. So it's it's nice to see, to have have this league table just to show which countries are doing well in what areas. But I was surprised that New Zealand ranks so low on our league table. Would either of you be able to talk a little bit, do you know anything about New Zealand's policies uh, in particular and why they rank so low on our list? Yeah, so they are ranking low because they are undergoing a policy change right now. And we use data for 2016. Maternity leave was quite short then. It wasn't even... 26 weeks or six months that I recommended for exclusive breastfeeding, but they are increasing that right now. And as of next summer, 2020, they are going to have 26 weeks of paid maternity leave. They also rank low because in 2016, there was no paid paternity leave. And I I don't remember if they are changing that now. I think UNICEF New Zealand is recommending that they should have proper paid paternity leave, you know, maybe of just two weeks, which is quite usual across the countries that have any paid paternity leave. But another reason that they rank low is that we didn't have any comparable data on childcare enrollment. So if we did have that, maybe New Zealand would have ranked a little bit higher just on maternity and paternity leave in 2016, they are doing 
quite badly. But as I said, at least on maternity leave, it is changing. It is already a little bit more generous than in 2016, and it's going to be 26 weeks next year. Let's talk a little bit about comparable data, because one of the questions for people who don't know how we do research here is, it's 2019. Why is our report using 2016 data? Um, and I think this is just this is just worth explaining because some of many of the countries actually has have since updated their policies. But it's important for us to explain why we're re- we're using this comparable data from three years ago. Mm. When we do international comparisons, it's important to have data that are comparable among countries in a particular time and space. Some, and this also entails taking them from one source to make sure that the methodology is consistent. This often entails that we go back to the last point in time when we had all the comparable data. And this point in time, in this case, is 2016 data provided by the OECD. Also, um, all statistical agencies take their time to um, have them, their measurements ready. So it's um, usually a normal waiting time to wait for a year or two just to get the number which is exactly right. I find paternity leave really interesting um, in general and, and not just how little of it we offer across these rich countries compared with maternity leave policies, but also um, that we know that there's very little uptake in it, even when policies are offered. Anna, can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, paternity leave tends to have a lower um, low take-up, but only usually typically at the beginning. This is fascinating because um, it's a crucial point in the debate of whether it's public policy that responds to social change that has already happened in the society or whether it can foreshadow and somehow shape it. For example, today we look at the Scandinavian countries um, such as Sweden or Norway as if it was the public policy that responded to already more egalitarian society. This is not necessarily the case. When paternity leave was introduced in Norway in 1990s, the initial take-up was only 3%. It's only during the following 20, 30 years that it has come almost to the full take-up. Currently, we have almost the take-up between 95% in Sweden and Norway. Do you you credit that to their use-it-or-lose-it policy in that they... They no longer allow mothers to take the uh, 100% of the leave they offer parents. One reason is use it or lose it policy. I think another little reason is the typical dynamics that unfolds, that initially it's only the precursors who take it, people who have probably easier situation at their workplace, and then you need a critical mass to make it into a social change. For example, when... Uh, Paternity leave was introduced in Japan in 2007, only around 1% to 2% of fathers took it. However, this proportion has quadrupled in only a decade. Right now we have data on uh, whether fathers would like to take it and why those who would like to take it cannot do it. And we see that it has mainly to do with the organization as well as the atmosphere in their workplace. The top reasons for why fathers in Japan are not taking the leave are staff shortage and uh, unfavorable atmosphere. This atmosphere can change when we reach a critical mass. For 
that's why, for example, it's important for the people in the position of power to set examples to their employees. How would you respond to people who say, what about self-employed people? Where does, what does the evidence say works uh, in terms of the best policy for self-employment? Well, that, that is a tricky scenario. And indeed, there are a lot of inequities in the eligibility for maternity, paternity and parental leave. And self-employed people are just one of the groups who are not always eligible for these policies. You know, the others are quite obviously those who are not working at all. But if we go back to the self-employed, well, there could be some sort of social insurance um, fund-based policy whereby while they're working and they're paying taxes and social insurance contributions, they could then draw on that to receive parental leave pay while they take some time off work. Or it could be tax-funded, so anyone, regardless of whether they're an employee or a self-employed person, a registered self-employed person, would be receiving some sort of statutory parental leave pay while they are taking time off work. The real question for the self-employed is then who is going to be delivering on their existing contracts and um, keeping the, the small business afloat. And uh, yeah, that's um, that's a difficult question, but the government could suddenly provide the pay while they're staying at home. And to build on this, an interesting example can be provided by Poland that in 2015 introduced universal leave. This was um, a public policy that tried to tackle the issue of the self-employed, but also of students or of people who are not in employment. Even though Poland is not a social democratic regime in a sense um, of the West, Nordic welfare states, when people pay high taxes and receive a lot of public services, uh, despite that, it was considered that parenthood is such an important thing that it basically should be a human right to be able to stay with your child. And currently, Poland is offering 12 months of uh, universal uh, leave. Uh, with the minimum threshold of 1,000 zlotys, which is uh, approximately 250 euros. Thank you for sharing Poland's information, especially since you're from Poland, Anna. Um, but I was surprised to see, given that um, the, Poland still ranks lower on our uh, league table um, than expected, um, is that because the Uh, the data is outdated or is it because of the other policies in our uh, matrix that bring it lower down on our list? The relatively low ranking of Poland is um, has nothing to do with leave. It has everything to do with the childcare enrollment. We tend to have uh, very uh, few places where you can send children under three. A few years ago, I calculated that we had more places at our f biggest football stadium that in our publicly provided childcare institutions for kids under three in the whole country. However, it should be emphasized that this is changing. So we are um, not doing great, but we are making a lot of progress because we started from much lower um, levels only a few years ago. So, so bringing up that our our report looks at 
um, not just maternity and paternity leave policies, but also also looks at breastfeeding support, but childcare enrollment under three and over three specifically in our league table. I think uh, one question we've been getting a lot is that it looks like the first half of our league table, we're saying long leave is best. And, but if you look at the second part of our table, we're saying that the earlier you offer early child care enrollment, the better. And so it's a little bit like, well, which is it? Do we want long maternity paternity leave or do we want to enroll children as early as possible into um, child care centers that are affordable and quality? So, so I think there's probably a, a happy medium in there somewhere. Um, so Kat, could you speak to that? Well, because we're looking at the full rate equivalent childcare leave, there is no real contradiction there because we're arguing that the longer and more generously paid the paid leave is, the better. It just so happens that no single country provides extremely long and well-paid leave. So some countries allow mothers to stay at home for at least three years but it's never fully paid at their full salary or at the average earner's salary. The most is really, what do we have here, Estonia, 85 weeks, full rate equivalent, uh, but in real terms, it's um, about 160 weeks. So we're saying that if the leave is long-ish, but very well paid, that's really great. It doesn't really happen in practice anywhere. So uh, we're lucky if we get something like 26 weeks of fully paid leave, that's half a year. And then childcare enrollment doesn't really peak until roughly age three. Newborns are hardly ever placed in center-based care, but then when they're three months old and then six months old, uh, enrollment rates go up and then it's quite normal in Europe to place a one-year-old child in center-based care. So basically, if a parent can stay at home for a year at their full salary or at an average earner's salary and then place their child in a really high-quality childcare place, that would be really great. But it almost never happens. Some countries allow mothers to stay at home for three years and then you cannot find a childcare place for anyone younger than three years old or they allow them to come back to work really, really quickly, sometimes before they even finish sort of exclusive breastfeeding of six months, but then there are more children, young children in center-based care. So there is a little bit of a trade-off between the length of maternity leave and um, childcare enrollment rates, but generally speaking, Childcare, childcare enrollment for under threes is driven by children aged one and two and almost three. And then the higher that is, well, in some ways, the better because the parent can, both parents, if there are two parents, can, can come back to work sooner. So I'm fascinated by this gap because this is something you also speak to in your blog uh, on our Evidence for Action UNICEF Connect platform. Um, Kat wrote a blog comparing her own UNICEF maternity leave policy, which she took in 2016, to uh, the maternity leave policies reviewed in our report, which I found fascinating. And um, in that, she also shared her experience of uh, going back to work after 24 weeks, but then 
the struggle to find childcare um, here in Italy. We're based in Florence, where uh, center-based care is hard to find uh, before 12 months. And um, I think that that across the rich countries, you'll find that those gaps exist also. Uh, Sweden, probably not uh, uncoincidentally um, number one in our list because they uh, offer uh, typically mothers uh, or parents will share 18 months of um, parental leave. And then the most common time to put your child into center-based care is at 18 months. But rarely is it that that matches up. Do you have any other examples you can share of what's working and what's not based on your research in some of these other countries? It almost never matches up perfectly and for every family. Even if the country guarantees that all children of a certain age will have a place in a childcare center, in reality, they still have to apply. The parents have to, to make their application before a certain deadline. And then if they miss it, then they won't get a place that year. But but even in the best case scenario, we don't see many cases where fully paid parental leave ends just as a statutory entitlement for each child to high quality center-based care begins. And it's very difficult to, to find harmonized comparable indicators of how well it matches up. In our report, we haven't managed to, to find such comparable indicators. So we ended up looking at leave entitlements and childcare enrollment rates. Because an enrollment rate tells you quite a lot about um, eligibility and affordability and availability. So the countries where childcare enrollment rates are particularly low, that's usually a combination of low affordability and low availability or accessibility. Okay. I know that France has um, very uh, early um, childcare enrollment rates in general. They're, they're well known for that. But they also... Um, they're in our top 10 on the league table, but um, even despite the early childcare enrollment, um, are lower than expected. Uh, could you tell us why that is? Well, France in particular is ranking lower than you would have expected based on its reasonably high childcare enrollment rates, simply because its leave available to mothers isn't particularly generous. And it's the same for Belgium, that also does very well on indicators of paternity leave and childcare indicators, but its leave is not particularly long or generous. And you, you could argue that countries like France and Belgium are perhaps penalized a little bit by the fact that we, we do uh, sort of rank on the length and generosity of leave available to mothers. But all the rankings need to be interpreted loosely. You know, you can be in the top third. It doesn't mean that everything in your country is perfect. Similarly, you could be in the middle of the ranking, but it doesn't mean that, that, that things are dire. Not, not, not at all. Family policies evolve over a, over a long period of time. And if France and Belgium prioritized early access to childcare centers at the expense of childcare leave, then that's their choice. It's probably optimal for these countries. And just because they're, you know, 10th or 13th in our league table, it doesn't really mean anything as long as the parents there have uh, options that work for them. 
Right. I, I think the interesting thing about those two countries is that um, they offer about four months of leave. And then it's very typical to put your child into early childcare uh, at four months. So in a way, they're meeting, at least they're meeting the the, the challenges of of childcare, but the, the maternity and paternity policies are not very long. So that's, that's why they're ranking where they are. But, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not working. And so I find that, that, that interesting. Um, speaking of childcare, Anna, could you speak a little bit about the affordability of some of these childcare options? Because I think just because um, there is a, a childcare available doesn't necessarily mean that it's affordable and I know uh, speaking um, from experience from my family and friends in the US um, affordable childcare options in the US is probably another reason why they're they're ranking so low on our list so um, how did you consider affordability in your research yes so um, there's a question of accessibility namely how many places there are vis-a-vis the number of kids and there's a question of affordability the question namely how what would it cost to send your kid to a child care on the point of affordability it's intimately linked to a welfare regime that countries opt for so not surprisingly countries that are ranked as liberal welfare regimes such as Ireland or the UK have the highest proportion of parents complaining about the childcare cost. So, for example, in the UK, almost 30% of parents have unmet childcare need and 22 percentage points, which is the majority of this um, 30%, um, say it is because of the money. To compare the UK with a country that has a very similar GDP per capita, which is France, in France, only 4% of uh, parents share this problem. This is showing us the differences in political priorities and in welfare regimes, namely the social, um, social contract questions of whether we are ready to pay higher taxes to receive um, more public services and more equitable public services. So thank you so much for joining us for this um, illuminating podcast discussion on our new report uh, on family-friendly policies in the OECD and EU. So any last thoughts, Anna? Yeah, I think that um, we should always help people to make the best choice and while respecting their personal choices. And we shouldn't uh, divide people into those who are stay-at-home mothers and those who use uh, childcare. Rather than that, we should think of how to create a public policy system that caters to different values and different needs. Uh, those of social researchers, as well as uh, those who work, for example, at the supermarkets cashier and would rather have a six... Uh, uh, our day and go back with to be with their child okay well um thank you once again for joining us for our podcast series please download our report at www.unicef-irc.org family hyphen friendly to read all about our report see our league table download our report and 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 other resources, including some of our interesting interactive graphs. You can follow us on Twitter at UNICEF Nocenti and on Facebook at UNICEF Nocenti as well. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.